Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. And good morning. My name is David Birch. I'm a covenant member here at The Well I'm on the Connections team and also serve as one of the shepherds in the Hyde Park CG. We are small but mighty. And this is Ezra 5, 1 through 5, and 6, 6 through 12. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. At the same time, Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shathar, Bosnai, and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? They also asked them this, What are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report reached Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. And then 6, 6 through 12. Now therefore, Tatnai, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar, Bosnai, and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. And whatever is needed, bulls, rams, or sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests of Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also, I make a decree that if anyone alters his edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house, and he shall be impaled on it, and his house shall be made a dunghill. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree, let it be done with all diligence. This is the word of the Lord. What is up, everybody? How is it going? Well, hey, I'm excited to be with you all as we continue on in our sermon series that we have titled Rebuilding Well. We have been in the book of Ezra, and today marks the halfway point of our sermon series. And so really, really excited to continue on this journey that the Israelites have been given um, to rebuild God's temple. And so as a church that is in a rebuilding season ourselves, we've gleaned a lot of wisdom from previous passages that when rightfully applied will enable us to push back darkness in our context and continually seek first both God or or the kingdom of God, both corporately and um, individually. And so uh, up until now, we've learned about how rebuilding well will require the sacrifices of many. We need to maintain an eternal perspective. Uh, Last week, Tori talked about opposition. And today we make it to chapter five. And I firmly believe that what we'll find in our passage today is a simple yet profound piece of wisdom that if applied will guarantee that we live our lives, our entire lives, prioritizing the building up of God's kingdom. Yes, that's right. I said guarantee, right? And I am not being dramatic either. I'm being very serious. I'll say it again. If we heed the wisdom from today's passage, we will 
not might, will end our lives with the same confidence that Paul had in 2 Timothy, knowing that we have prioritized God's kingdom and as a result made an eternal impact during our time here on this earth. I know it sounds like I'm really selling this chapter. I know some of y'all are like, man, this better be good. This dude's really selling it. But I promise you, the wisdom that we find, it will keep you tethered to Christ if you apply it and ensure that we remain active builders um, of God's eternal kingdom until the day we breathe our last. And at this point, I know the suspense is killing you, but just wait a second. We'll get to it. What is that piece of wisdom? We'll get to it. But first, a little bit of context as to what's happened thus far uh, in Ezra up until chapter 5. And so, and as we recap what's happened so far, I do want you guys to recognize a pattern uh, because it serves and lays the foundation of the wisdom in chapter 5. So, quick recap. As you recall, God's people exiled for 70 years, right? Until chapter 1 reminds us um, that they're allowed to return to Jerusalem um, to rebuild God's temple. And this happened because God stirred the spirits of King Cyrus, okay? So the voice of King Cyrus is used to communicate the will of God, okay? We also see in chapter 1 that years before King Cyrus was even born, God used the voice of Jeremiah to communicate that this moment would eventually happen in history. And so here's this little kind of the, the, the pattern that we see that serves the foundation of our wisdom in, in chapter 5. It's that God speaks through mankind to communicate his will, and he works through mankind to accomplish his will. And that pattern isn't new to the Bible. It's been God's MO since day one, but we need to keep that in mind. It serves the foundation um, for what we see in chapter five. And so uh, as a result, by this decree issued by King Cyrus, many of the Israelites, they return to Jerusalem, they begin rebuilding the temple, and then what do you know? Opposition arises, just like Tori talked about last week. But what's important to note here is not just the fact that opposition came, it's how did opposition came, come? Through the voices of others, through the voices of opposition adversaries. And so we see that just as God speaks through mankind to build his kingdom, Satan uses people too to, build, to work against God's kingdom, okay? And so in attempts to halt the building process, you have these adversaries, they put their voice of accusation in writing. They send a letter to the king demanding that they stop rebuilding, and that's exactly what happens. By the end of our last chapter, we see that opposition didn't just attempt to stop the building of God's temple, but they succeeded. The Israelites, they stopped building, and they didn't start again until our chapter today. And so you ask, man, how long was the delay? Well, not six months, not six years, but it took them 16 years to re resume rebuilding the temple of God after they first faced opposition. And so the voice of their accuser directly and negatively impacted um, the rebuilding process. And I say all of this to say that there are tons of voices in the book of Ezra, all revolving around the topic of rebuilding. What to build, God's kingdom or something else? When to build, why to build, how to build, who to use to build, who to not use to build. And you've got a ton of voices that are all speaking into this. You have the kings of prophets, the, or you have the voice of kings, you have the voice of prophets, the voice of priests, you have the voice of people, the voice of opposition. So many voices. And yet the one thing that remains true, the one thing that remains true throughout this entire book is also the one piece of wisdom that will set the tone for the rest of chapter 5 today. And it's this. The world is filled with millions of voices, 
but the voice you obey will determine which kingdom you build. If you don't hear, if you've already checked out, like, man, what's for lunch? I'm ready to get out of here. If you've already checked out, that's the one piece of wisdom that I want you to take from the sermon. The voices we obey will determine which kingdom we build. This was true for them in the last chapter, remember? Yielding to the voices of opposition led them to stop building the temple for 16 years. And this is equally true for us. In a world full of millions of voices that we can tune into, the voices we obey will determine which kingdoms we build in this life. And so here's where we're going today. If it's true that the voices we obey will determine which kingdoms we build, and it's true that both God and Satan use the voice of mankind to accomplish and communicate their will, then we do well to grow in our ability to discern which voices are godly and which voices aren't, right? Which voices are aligned with God's will and desire to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and which voices don't. That's where chapter five comes in. And so we're gonna learn a lot from this passage that are going to, what we learn is going to help us discern which voices are for God's kingdom and which ones aren't. And so, and so with that, let's dive in. Chapter 5, verse 1. Sorry about this, (laughs) y'all. Oh, my God, it's stuck. Okay, here we go. Okay. Um, Say, we read in verse 1 of chapter 5 that after 16 years, two prophetic voices, Haggai and Zechariah, they arrive on the scene, and Ezra tells us that they prophesy, but doesn't actually give us detail into what they say, Right? But luckily, both prophets have their own book in the Old Testament. And so, and and those prophecies are what's referenced here. And so on the screen, I have a snippet of both. And here's what I want you to notice before I read. I want you to notice that both prophecies encourage the Israelites to continue to rebuild. But Haggai's prophecy focuses more on the work of their hands, right? Haggai 1, 7 through 8, thus says the Lord, consider your ways, Go up the hill, bring the wood, and build the house. Haggai's like, listen, all right, y'all, playtime is over. Time to go up the hill. It is time to get back to work. But Zechariah, however, he focuses more on the condition of their hearts, okay? Thus says the Lord, return to me, and I will return to you. And so Haggai focuses on their hands. Zechariah focuses on their heart. And God uses the voice of both prophets to communicate his message to the people. Keep that in mind. Another thing worth noting is that if you read the entirety of both Old Testament books, you'll see that they're not just issuing prophecies that apply directly to the Israelites, but they issue more prophecies that are pointing to the greater narrative of Scripture, God's kingdom and God's coming Messiah that will one day rule that kingdom. And so Haggai and Zechariah, they're not just partnering together to communicate God's heart towards the Israelites as they rebuild the temple, they're partnering with every other prophecy in the Bible as they point to God's coming kingdom and Jesus, his coming Messiah. And so what can we learn from that? Godly voices acknowledge they prophesy in part. And so they're humble. They, They acknowledge that what they hear is just a small piece of the bigger puzzle. They don't claim to have full revelation that they've heard perfectly from God. They humbly acknowledge that they prophesy in part, just like Paul says in 1 Corinthians. We prophesy in part. And if Paul says that, then we would do well to discern that godly voices prophesy in part. Within themselves, Haggai and Zechariah, they don't have full revelation. 
But everything they say aligns with the prophecies that already existed in Scripture that all collectively point to Christ. And so godly voices both acknowledge that they prophesy in part, and what they say will always align with Scripture. And so that means if you hear any voice that pridefully claims to have full revelation of God's kingdom, full revelation of what God is doing, yet no humility to recognize that they prophesy in part, then I'd be careful to not obey. If you hear any voice that claims to have revelation of what God is doing, full revelation, but it doesn't align with Scripture, it's not from the one true God. And so do not obey because you may end up building a kingdom, but it will not be the one true God's kingdom. I can promise you that, right? And as a former Muslim, I can say if Muhammad knew this, if, if Joseph Smith knew this, if they heeded this wisdom, then the false religions of Islam and Mormonism may still exist today, but not by their hand. And here's what I mean by that. 600 years after our Messiah, King Jesus, is crucified and resurrects and ascends to heaven, Muhammad claims to hear a voice that he thinks is the angel Gabriel. And he begins to write down the very words that he hears, and those writings become the Quran, the scripture that Muslims follow. And in it is a historical declaration that Jesus did not die on the cross. And so with that, Muhammad starts a movement that denies the very moment in history that makes our entrance into God's kingdom even possible. All because he had a vision. He heard a voice that claimed to give him full revelation of God. I don't know what he heard, but it didn't align with scripture and therefore he ended up building the wrong kingdom. Kingdom of Islam, not the kingdom of God. 1800 years after, Joseph, after Jesus resurrects, Joseph Smith, visited by a, you guessed it, an angel. And he claims that this angelic voice gives him full revelation of God. So he writes the Book of Mormon that fuels the expansion of the kingdom of Mormonism, not the kingdom of God. The voices you obey will determine which kingdoms you build, family. And so if the voices you hear contradict God's word, do not obey. Don't obey. And what's really interesting is that centuries before Muhammad or Joseph Smith, Paul wrote Galatians 1.8. Before these dudes ever existed, Paul says, if an angel from heaven, if I or an angel from heaven preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you've heard, let him be accursed. And so I don't know what Joseph Smith heard, what Muhammad heard, but Paul would say it was of demonic influence. The voices you obey will determine which kingdoms you build. And so you make sure the voices you entertain point you to Christ and align with God's word. And so how do we discern godly voices that will lead us to build God's kingdom and none other? Well, we know that they're humble. They acknowledge that they prophesy in parts and they don't contradict the scriptures. And so we also see in our passage today that godly voices not only point to Christ, but they themselves actively participate in what God is doing and they work themselves to help build God's kingdom. In other words, they practice what they preach, right? And while not perfectly, you know that they're not asking you to do things that they're not actively doing themselves. That's what we see in Haggai and Zechariah, right? And so Haggai and Zechariah, they could have easily issued this prophecy and just gone about their business, right? You fools, get back to work. I'm gonna be over here while you guys get all the work done. That's not what they do though. 
Their objective, their agenda is not just to boss the people around to feel good about themselves or to pervert the authority that they've been given by flaunting it over the people, the gifts that they have. For, for Haggai and Zechariah, it's not about gifts. It's not about titles. It's about serving the people of God by not just recognizing that they're on track, but committing to help themselves to get them back on track, right? And so how do I know? How, how do I know that their hearts are genuinely to serve? Because they don't just command the people to build the temple from afar. They come alongside them to help build the temple themselves. That's what the end of verse 2 says. After they issue the prophecy, it says the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. They don't just encourage with their voice, but they help with their hands. They're on the ground floor, helping contribute themselves to the very work of God. And man, this is amazing. Haggai and Zechariah have their own book in the Bible, y'all, right? Prophesied vessels. God spoke through them, and yet they're submitting to their own teaching. They, they aren't above the commands of God, even if God is using them to speak them. And so they attempt to practice what they preach. Is this true of the voices that you follow? Is it true? Are, are the voices that you follow submitting to the very biblical truths that they preach? Right? Are they not just preaching the kingdom of God, but they themselves are active participants in the building up of the kingdom of God? These are important questions to ask if we're going to discern godly voices. And so if I get up here as a member of Well Staff, right, and preach to you, man, fight for community. That's what we need to be doing. This is what our church is all about. And yet I myself am not in any sort of biblical community. That's a problem. If I get up here and talk about how generosity is worship, and yet I myself am not tithing myself to the local church, giving my own time, talents, and treasures to the local church, then that's a problem. Godly voices, they don't just preach Christ and his kingdom, but they actively participate themselves in the building up of God's kingdom. And so how would you know that that's true about the voices that you follow if they're not on the ground floor? That's why I'm always so quick to tell people, don't be so quick to receive what you hear from these Instagram preachers, right? Because unlike Haggai and Zechariah, you, you don't know if what they're telling you is actually congruent with their actions, right? With, if their voice is congruent with their actions. And that's why investing in a local church is so important. Because the voices we entertain, the, the voices we obey will determine whose kingdom we build. And so choose to follow voices that you can validate or you'll follow hard after the voice of someone who claims to be building God's kingdom, but maybe they're just building their own. And so local church, it, local church involvement, it is essential, right? That, that you actually have relationship with the people that are pouring into you and shepherding your soul. And so I'm not saying go unfollow Jackie Hill Perry. That's not what I'm saying, okay? I'm not trying to have her wonder why 90% of her followers are from Austin that stopped following her, okay? I'm not trying to have that be what happens. But if she says, if what she says aligns with truth, then great. Allow that to supplement your faith. But your soul primarily needs to be shepherded by the Holy Spirit, partnering with, with voices of people that are actually in your life. Voices that are on the ground floor, serving alongside the people of God. Not just serving them, but serving alongside. And these voices aren't perfect, but they're in submission to the very things that they preach. Those are the voices you want to follow.
I think about a ton of names that came to mind when I think of godly voices, people that really model that well. And if I were to get up here and just list out every name that came to mind, we will be here forever, right? Um, But Chris Henry, he was in the first service. He's someone that definitely comes to mind. Chris is one of our elders here. And to be honest, he's kind of a jack of all trades. I can't tell you how many times I've seen an Instagram post only only to be surprised at yet another thing that Chris is like really good at, right? And so it's like, oh man, okay, so dude flies planes and he's a great photographer. He makes the best homemade pasta, according to Tori, and he rides horses. It's like, bro, come on, dog, like just pick one, right? Similarly, when you see him serving in yet another role, you're like, wait, okay, so you're an elder, but then like, wait, you you preach sometimes too and you're leading worship and coaching CG shepherds. And I don't know if y'all noticed, but there wasn't someone on keys today. But if you were to tell me it was the voice of Chris Henry or the ghost of Chris Henry playing keys, I would have believed you because he's everywhere, right? He is everywhere serving in every capacity. Our elders, if you have attended CG consistently, you'll see that they periodically visit CGs. They're on the ground floor. Those are the voices that I want to follow because the voices I obey will determine whose kingdom I build. And the kingdom of God, that's what they're all about. How do I know that? They're on the ground floor. They're on the ground floor. Our CG shepherds, on the ground floor, sacrificing for the souls of the people that they're leading while continually pointing us to truth. Those are the voices I want to follow. And so godly voices, they don't just display humility in their ability to recognize that they prophesy in part, that they exalt Christ, not themselves, but they serve on the ground floor. They participate in the very things they call others to do. When this is not true of the people that you're following, this is not true of the voices that you hear, then maybe you shouldn't be following them. Just keeping it real, right? And so if it's true that the voices we obey determine the kingdoms that we'll build, then what about our own voice? How do we know if what we hear from ourselves is actually being influenced by God or influenced by Satan, right? Or influenced by our flesh, I should say. Well, we know what a godly voice sounds like, so that's helpful. Um, I just saw the two people that Huli saw (laughs) during her uh, uh, hosting time. And so, Huli, I'm with you, sis. I'm really thankful for our friends that are visiting us. Um, Okay, man. Uh, How do we know if the voices that we hear are our flesh. Well, once again, helpful to know what godly voices sound like, um, but it's also helpful to know that what our, it's helpful to know what our flesh sounds like in order to better discern um, what voices we're hearing. And so how do we know if our, our own flesh is pointing us in the direction of the kingdom of God or not? Well, we find the answer to that when we notice something in Haggai's prophecy. Um, what we see um, through his prophecy is although the Israelites stopped building God's temple for 16 years, they have not been idle, right? They, they haven't just been sitting around letting each day pass. They've actually been working very, very hard. When God speaks through Haggai, he says, these people say it's not the right time to build the Lord's house. The Lord's rebuttal. Oh, okay. Is it time for you yourselves to build paneled houses while the Lord's house lay in rooms? Huh. Paneled houses are luxurious, fancy, really nice houses. And so we see for the past 16 years, they've been building. They've just been building the wrong thing. And it's not that building nice houses is a bad thing. It's the fact that they prioritize their own house while letting uh, God's temple lie in rooms. Not only that, 
But as the Israelites rebuild these really nice houses, guess where all of these resources are coming from? The very resources that King Cyrus gave them as gifts to to rebuild the temple is now just being used to build their own kingdoms. And so they're consuming from God, but they're contributing only to their own kingdoms. And that's what the flesh sounds like. That's what the flesh sounds like. Our flesh will always prioritize our kingdom over God's kingdom, period. We will gladly consume from God and yet only contribute to ourselves and our kingdom. Our time, our talents, our treasures, the very breath in our lungs, gifts from God. They're all gifts from a gracious God. And yet we will take those gifts, though they're from God, we will use them to build our own kingdom. And we'll make any excuse to justify why we're not using any of our God-given gifts to build God's kingdom. That's what the flesh sounds like. And so here's ultimately what we see in the Israelites. What started as an opposing voice being the biggest obstacle for them to obeying God's slowly became their own voice being the, the biggest barrier to obeying God's voice. And that's what our flesh will do. Our flesh will make any excuse in the world to justify building our own kingdoms. Even the spiritually sounding excuse, the spiritual sounding ones. It is not time for us to build the house of the Lord. We'll use any excuse, including valid opposition. We'll use that excuse to focus purely on ourselves and we'll ignore God's call on our lives to build his kingdom. That's what our flesh sounds like. Your kingdom first, by any means, not God's. And so it may sound like, man, I can't serve the house of God. I can't do it. I can't come back to church because my old church made it seem like unless I voted for Biden, I was just this hateful, closed-minded bigot. And so, man, I just can't, I can't do it. I get it. I get that that's hurtful. And you may need time to heal from that. But how much time has passed and whose kingdom are you building now? To remember, you have to remember our flesh is looking for any excuse to punk God's kingdom and build our own. And so it could sound like, man, I can't serve in church because, man, when Trump got elected, the American church, they said and did some really hurtful things and it was really harmful, so I can't even, I can't make my way back. Valid. And I get it. I, too, am a part of those who were hurt by that season of um, life. And we may need time to heal from that. But how much time has passed and whose kingdom are we building now? to remember that our flesh is looking for any excuse to punk God's kingdom and build our own. And so you see, it's actually possible to address opposition, to to call out wrongdoing in the church without actually giving in to our fleshly desire to live just for ourselves and put God's kingdom on the back burner. There, There are churches out there that aren't building the kingdom of Trump and they're not building the kingdom of Biden. They're building the kingdom of God. So don't allow previous opposition to be the very reason why you don't build alongside them. You you find those churches that are serious about building God's kingdom and you use your time, talents, and treasures to build with them. I think many people are here that are a great example of this. They've experienced spiritual abuse at different churches. They've experienced conflict in the church They've had to heal from really hard and hurtful things that they've experienced at the hands of the people of God, but they didn't allow opposition they face to justify living purely for themselves. Prioritizing our own kingdom over God's kingdom is what our voice, is what our flesh will lead us to do. And it's good to know that 
because the voices we obey will determine which kingdom we build. And so I truly believe that God desires to speak to us corporately, individually. And so it gets me really excited when people come up to me like, man, Yusuf, man, I want to hear from God, but how do I know if what I'm hearing is a godly voice or my flesh? How do I know that? I love when people ask that question. Well, I think allowing what we've learned so far through Ezra, man, does this voice embody a godly voice? Does it characterize a godly voice? What is that? It prioritizes God's kingdom. It exalts Christ. It aligns with scripture, right? Or does it prioritize you and your kingdom? Those are questions that help us discern because God's voice will always prioritize his kingdom, always align with scripture, and our voice will always prioritize our own kingdom, always. And so not many people know this, but uh, my wife, Ashley, she, um, she spent some time in seminary. So we lived on campus together, and one of her professors uh, invited all of their students to come out for dinner. And so I followed them, and it was great. And I actually ended up talking with their professor pretty much the entire time with her professor. And, you know, we kind of started running out of shallow things to talk about. And so one of us asked what most Christians tend to ask when we're awkwardly trying to go a little deeper. You know, like, so what's your testimony, right? Like, what's your story? Uh, and so I share mine um, about how I was raised devout Muslim and how a best friend of mine planted gospel seeds and how I didn't believe at first until one night I heard from God. And I finally became convinced that Jesus died on the cross for me and truly loves me. And so that night, I declared faith in Christ. And I just remember the professor hearing that and kind of like scratching his head and being like, yeah, okay. And you sure it wasn't some sort of hallucination, right? That like that was in your head? Are you sure it wasn't just like chemicals in your brain that were kind of like misfiring? I was like, is this dude trying to accuse me of being on drugs the night that I got saved? I couldn't fathom it. I was like, man, are you looking for a polite way to ask if I was doing shrooms on the night that I decided? Like, I just was, I was so confused by it. Was it some sort of hallucination? Maybe. Was it from God? I'm convinced it was. Why? Because I woke up that day, dead in my sins, and went to bed that night, alive in Christ. And there's only one voice I know that can raise dead people to life. It's the voice of God. The voices I heard, they, prior, they prioritized God's kingdom, the exaltation of Christ, and they aligned with his words. And I know I'm convinced it was the Lord because I know naturally my flesh just wants to prioritize my kingdom. And so I'm convinced it was God's voice. The voices you obey will determine whose kingdom you build. And so discerning rightly godly voices is of utmost importance to us. And so back to our story the people respond positively to Haggai and Zechariah. They begin rebuilding the temple. And then we get to verse 3, where all of a sudden, a dude named Tatnai, a governor in the area, he comes on the scene as a voice of opposition, right? Remember what Tori said last week. The moment you take a step in the right direction, here comes trouble. And so he starts talking, man, who gave y'all authority to do this? What are y'all's names, Right? But this time, they don't cave into the voice of opposition because this time, it's God's voice that they're obeying. And so it's God's temple that they're building. Because like I said, the voice you obey will determine whose kingdom you build. And so notice, literally, verse 3, at the same time of them beginning to rebuild. And so think about that. Uh, 16 years of building your own houses. Opposition, nowhere to be found. The moment they begin to build God's temple, here we go, opposition. 
And this is actually what makes the enemy's voice the easiest to detect, right? Because the enemy wants to prevent you from building God's kingdom at all costs. And so that's the reason why he doesn't care what you're doing. He doesn't care what you're building as long as it's not the kingdom of God. Satan doesn't care which kingdom you build as long as it's not God. So he's totally cool with you building your own house for 16 years while God's house lays in ruins. He's cool with that. But the moment you think of taking a step in the direction of building God's kingdom, he'll send voices to deter, to distract, to discourage you, to sow doubt, to keep you from building God's kingdom. And so any voice that you hear that tries to prevent you from building God's kingdom, do not obey. And so if you hear a voice that's like, man, don't worry about growing in holiness while you're in college. Screw that. Do your own thing. Build the Greek life kingdom, not God's kingdom. Do not obey. If you hear a voice that's like, hey, bro, how do you expect to get a promotion when all of your time is going to serving God's people and serving God's church, right? God's kingdom is boring. Live for a kingdom that will actually pay the bills and help you climb the ladder of success. Do not obey. ISIS, use your time, talents, and treasures to do you, right? Spend it on your kingdom, right? You already go to church on Sunday. Spend your money, your talents on you and you alone. Don't just contribute or or don't contribute, just consume. Do you, boo-boo, do you. Don't obey. Satan doesn't care what you do, which kingdom you build, as long as it's not God's. And as long as it's not seeking first God's kingdom. And he'll often get you to worship yourself because that's actually the easiest, surefire way to get you from thinking twice about God. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. That's what he did. God creates them perfect relationship. They're obeying God's voice. And then what gets them to fall? The voice of a snake. The voice of Satan. And it's not like, bow down and worship me. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. He says, hey, what are y'all doing? Hey, God can't be trusted. He's holding out on you. Kick him out of the equation and be your own God. Be your own God. Build your own kingdom. And that's how he works today. Today, this is Satan's tactic. Um, I actually met a Satanist a couple days ago, or a couple weeks ago, while I was out two-stepping, of all things. And I know y'all don't know what to be more shocked by. (laughs) Right? The fact that I met a Satanist or the fact that I'm African and really like two-stepping. I went to college in Texas, so I mean, I pretty much didn't have a choice, but I digress. I met this Satanist and he actually approached me as I was dancing with my wife, Ashley. He came up to me like, hey bro, you're crushing it. You're killing it. I was like, man, this dude's actually really nice. Um, After meeting this guy, I was reminded of conversations I had in college where I learned that Satanists actually claim to not worship Satan. Did y'all know that? Satanists claim, what they do claim is that they worship themselves. Do you. Do whatever you want. Build your own kingdom. Live as if you're in charge. Satan wants you to prioritize anything and everything else so that God's kingdom becomes an afterthought. Why? Because he knows that when it's all said and done, every other kingdom crumbles. There's only one kingdom that will be around 100 years from now, 1,000 years from now, 100,000 years from now. There's only one. And it's not Google, it's not Apple, it's not UT, it's not America, and it's not yours. God's kingdom, the kingdom of God. 
And what we sow now into God's kingdom, we will reap eternally. Satan wants nothing more for than you to miss out on that because he hates you. And if he can't keep our souls out of the kingdom of God, he'll distract us from helping the souls of others enter the kingdom of God. And so if you hear a voice that leads you to prioritize any other kingdom over God's kingdom, whether it's yours or someone else's, do not obey. Because the voices you obey will determine which kingdoms you build. Listen, I know we're technically uh, only through verse 3. Um, of our passage today, but don't worry, I will brief you on how the rest of the story ends. And so the Israelites, they respond to Tatnai by letting them know that they actually have permission to rebuild. But Tatnai, whose name should be Tattletale at this point, uh, writes a letter to the current king, King Darius, requesting that a search be made that they can, so they can find document evidence to prove that the, the Israelites were ever given permission to build. And so King Darius does just that. He issues a search for this needle in a haystack situation. But thanks to the providence of God, they find this document. And King Darius responds by not only giving them permission to keep building, but he makes Tatanai use his government budget to fund the rest of the rebuilding project. And so I'm sure Tatanai, the tattletale, was ticked, right? I'm sure he was unhappy about that. He's having to use his budget to actually fund the mission that he was trying to stop. The last thing King Darius says is he issues a consequence for anyone who tries to delay the rebuilding of God's temple. Verse 11 of chapter 6. Those who violate this edict to build God's house first or to neglect God's temple will have a beam pulled from their house to be impaled on it. And their house, the very thing that they've prioritized over God's kingdom, will be made a dunghill, a house of shame. Friends, listen to me. We have all broken this edict. We have all violated this decree. We have all obeyed voices that have led us to prioritize our kingdom, our houses over the house of God. And our idolatry of self, our idolatry of other things, other voices, it spits in the face of a holy and perfect God who alone is worthy of our worship. Everyone in this room has fallen short of this. And though the wages of disobeying God's voice is banishment from God's kingdom forever, God so loved the world that he, his word, the, the very voice of God put on flesh in the person of Jesus, and he lived the perfectly obedient life that we could not live, and yet he dies a shameful death as if he broke King Darius' edict on a wooden beam impaled by the spear of a Roman soldier. The, the very temple of God appeared on that cross, a mere house made a dunghill. He took our punishment. Why? So that you and I, who have for sure sought lesser kingdoms, may have our sins forgiven and receive God's unending, immeasurable grace that gives us access to the only kingdom that will last forever, the kingdom of God. All other kingdoms will be exposed as dunghills compared to the eternal king of God. And so for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, he calls us to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and discern godly voices because as we obey them, we will build God's kingdom. Not might, we will. As we obey godly voices, 
We will build God's kingdom first, and we will push back darkness in Austin. How do I know that? How can I be so sure of that? Because the voices we obey will determine the kingdoms that we build. And so what are some quick application points? I think the questions we should all continually ask ourselves, all of us, whether you're on staff, whether you're a shepherd, whether you're an elder, we should all continually ask ourselves, which voices am I obeying? And are they prioritizing God's kingdom? Are they pointing me towards God's kingdom? Are you surrounding yourself with godly voices? In other words, are you in biblical community? Are you inviting godly voices into your life to speak truth and love for when you're actually not prioritizing God's kingdom over your own kingdom? Have you found a local church that is serious about building the kingdom of God? And are you plugged into that church? Are you partnering with that church to see God's kingdom come to Austin as it is in heaven? And like we say every week, it does not have to be the wealth, but invest somewhere. Don't just listen to this message, but wrestle with these questions because the answers to them will determine whether we get to the end of our lives with the confidence that Paul had, knowing that we've allowed God to use our time on this earth to build his kingdom, his eternal kingdom. And the last point is to pray. And so the prayer point for this sermon is this. Lord, help me seek godly voices that help me to keep my eyes on you and your kingdom. May that forever be our prayer until our King Jesus returns to bring us home. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, there are no words. to really explain, God, gratitude for what you've done for us. Thank you, God, that that though we have entertained voices that prioritize other kingdoms, you yourself, you allowed your voice to put on flesh, to come down and to pay the price for our sin, for our disobedience. And you raise from the grave and you extend an invitation to come home. You extend an invitation for all of us to continue to listen to your voice and to live by it and to walk by it. And so I pray for any of us in here that realize, man, they're off track. Would they put their faith in Christ? And if they have put their faith in Christ, would they look to Christ, look to the cross and see that we can pick ourselves back up just like the Israelites did and continue to rebuild so we love you, God. We thank you for this opportunity to build something eternal alongside you. So much gratitude, God. I pray that anyone in here that doesn't know you would really consider your kingdom and coming into it and see this as an invitation. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're now going to move into a time of communion. Um, And this is a time that we do every single week where we reflect on the fact that for those of us in Christ, we are in the kingdom of God, but it wasn't free. Our, Our entrance into God's kingdom, eternal kingdom, came by the body that was broken and the blood that was spilled, that God's very own voice put on flesh and allowed that flesh to be broken and pierced allowed that flesh to bleed his very own precious blood so that you and I 
who every day make decisions to prioritize ourselves over him, may be forgiven, have grace, become his children, and continue on as he repurposes to rebuild his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so would we remember that and reflect on that as we break the body and we drink the blood? And if you're not a believer in Christ, I would ask that you do not take communion because this is for people that have actually trusted in Christ and have received the body that was broken and the blood that was spilled and have entered into his kingdom forevermore. Amen. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.